Chapter 6, My Muslim Grandmother and Me Go back to your country is one of my least favorite phrases in the English language. It's vile and racist and only uttered by xenophobes and bigots. And yet the words did run through my mind during the months or years that my my dad's mom, Margaret Faraday Kanai Gasher, would come from Iran to live with us in America. Mama Faraday, or Mamani as we called her, regularly drove me nuts. I was mortified in movie theaters when my mom had to quietly translate every line of dialogue to her. I had no patience for her incessant nagging, or the fact that she couldn't seem to speak without spitting. The cultural and the culture and generation gap that separated us was way too immense to navigate. I was certain we were destined to never understand each other. Whenever I reached peak frustration levels, my parents liked to remind me that my grandmother had had a difficult life and that I needed to practice compassion. But that didn't make up for the fact that she was currently ruining my precious teen years. It never quite sank in that my life at 15 was sunshine and roses compared to what she'd gone through as a teenager. Her existence was marked by a series of unthinkable losses. Mine was marked by aloof boys prepping for the SATs and a looming fear of deportation. Mamani was born in France to an Iranian father and a Lebanese mother. She was the younger of two girls and adored by her older sister. The two of them were completely inseparable until they were forced apart. They attended boarding school in France together. Her whole life, she would remain fluent in French. But when Mamani was 12, their mom passed away and their dad lost lost his job and decided to move the family to Tehran. He told his daughters they were merely going to Iran to visit family, so both girls mistakenly thought they'd be returning to their lives at school. But en route to Iran, their dad married off my grandmother's 14-year-old sister against her will. She didn't speak a word of Farsi and ended up married to an Iranian man who was in his early 20s. The sisters didn't know at the time, but it would be 10 years before they'd be reunited. My grandmother wrote her sister letters over the years, but as in every good tragic story, her sister never received them. Three years later, my grandmother had her own arranged marriage to a neighbor, my grandfather, Mohammed Sadie, who was five years her senior. Everyone in my family called him Pedarjun, which translates to father dear. My grandmother moved in with him and his family, and at 16, when I was still learning, yearning for my first kiss, she gave birth to my Amu, Abdullah, more commonly known as Abdul. My dad was born four years later, followed by my two aunts. My grandmother not only raised four children, but also had a full-time job making clothes for Tehran's elite class. While her employers were extravagantly wealthy, the Sadie family was considered lower middle class at best. But despite their lack of money, Faraday and Muhammad had a solid marriage. My grandfather was a kind and gentle man who made a very modest living working at a printing press. He wanted to protect his wife from his family's violent tendencies, but he couldn't exactly disown his parents. As a young boy, my dad regularly witnessed his mom getting beaten, and the image of her being abused remains burned into his memory. After one particularly violent incident, My seven-year-old dad took the bus to fetch his father at work so that he could hurry home and tend to my grandmother's bloody wounds. A year later, my grandmother would be so depressed by the harsh treatment she received from her in-laws that she tried to commit suicide by overdosing on opium. 
Luckily, she survived the suicide attempt, and by the time the kids were older, the in-laws were kicked out of the house and removed from their lives completely. The Mamani I knew was incredibly independent and stubborn to a fault. She was also a strict Muslim. Whenever she lived with us in America, she would scramble to put on her headscarf if a male relative entered the house. She didn't drink alcohol or eat pork, and she always fasted during Ramadan. She made 13 pilgrimages to Mecca and faithfully prayed five times a day. I used to love peeking through the doorways to her bedroom and watching her kneel on the floor and whisper, Allah Akbar. She seemed so focused and at peace during those moments of prayer and contemplation. But when my dad was growing up, she preferred bright red lipstick to each door. He was often embarrassed to bring his friends around the house because he didn't have a typical mom. Islam became a part of her life after the unexpected death of her oldest son, and religion became the only way she coped with the debilitating grief. My Amu Abdul was handsome and charismatic and taken from the world far too soon. At 18, he became one of the youngest soccer, or football, as it's more commonly known in Iran, players to join Team Meli, Iran's national team, and became a star in the country. His fame and income helped turn his family members' lives around. Thanks to my Abdul's connections, my dad was able to attend one of the best private schools in Tehran, free of charge. During and after his soccer career, Abdul was also a lieutenant in the Air Force. When he was 31, he piloted a flight to northern Iran to pick up a high-ranking official. The plane crashed on the way, killing my uncle and seven passengers. He left behind his wife and young daughter, my wonderful cousin Gita. My dad was in college in Baton Rouge when the crash occurred, and for two months, no one in the family told him that his brother, the person he loved most in the world, had perished. They were too afraid to break the news over the phone, and so they waited for his closest childhood friend to be able to tell him in person. My grandmother was only 47 when her son passed away. Islam saved her life during this incredibly difficult period. Finding religion gave her a tiny bit of solace, and she remained a devout Muslim till the day she died. Six years after my uncle's death, my grandfather died of cancer. Mamani had, grown, had gotten married at 15, became a widow at 53 and spent the rest of her life on her own in an apartment in Mashhad, a city of the far eastern side of Iran. She came to America often and would live with us for long stretches of time. When I was a child, she drove me so crazy that I decided the only solution was to run away from home. I hopped on my bike barefoot and pedaled down the streets, determined never to return. I lasted about 30 minutes before returning home, kicking myself that I didn't take her advice to put on the sweater. But there was one event in my life that connected Mamani and me forever, the time I broke my vagina. It was before puberty had fully arrived, so I didn't have much experience with blood and my private parts. My parents were away for the weekend, and my grandmother was in charge of watching me, watching us. I was making myself a snack in the kitchen, but due to the fact that I was vertically challenged, I couldn't reach a dish in one of our cabinets. I climbed up on the counter. As I did as I often did to grab the dish, but when I hopped off, I didn't realize the door to the lower cabinet was ajar. I landed on it with my legs wide open. I think it's safe to say that if I were a boy, I would have died instantly from the pain. I thought for sure I would never bear children and that I need an emergency, veg, emergency vaginospity. My grandmother found me screaming in agony, still straddling the cabinet door with my feet, not reaching the ground. 
I was frozen. I was in so much pain I couldn't move. I was crying, and she burst into tears when she saw me. Sarah, Sarah, she screamed. She slowly helped me off the cabinet door and proceeded to have a panic attack. She didn't speak any English and didn't have a driver's license, so she couldn't take me to the hospital. In retrospect, she probably wasn't the best person to be taking care of us. What if I bled to death from my own vagina? How would she explain that to my parents? My own mental state became more fragile when I went into the bathroom and saw blood on my underpants. I was 99% certain I just lost my virginity to a cabinet door. My grandmother immediately got on the phone with my Kale Shrazid. Shazad, and explained the situation. My aunt rushed over and called my Kalea Mandana, who lived in Los Angeles and worked as a nurse, for professional medical advice. My already humiliating day got worse when my Kalea Shrazad announced that she'd been told to examine my vagina. I was horrified. I lay on my bed completely mortified as my aunt checked between my legs for any, inv- any visible signs of trauma and permanent damage. Despite her lack of medical expertise, she said I looked fine. I wasn't totally convinced, but I was willing to agree since the pain was starting to subside and there was no way in heck I was going to allow anyone else to look at my vagina ever again. Despite the throbbing pain and humiliation, I'm grateful for my lady parts injury. Though my grandmother and I didn't ever speak about it again it was a terrible experience that bonded us and for a woman who kept her emotions buried seeing her in tears made me realize that she loved me during her last visit to the estates we decided to take a long walk together to a nearby persian market long strolls were her favorite pastime and that particular afternoon the temperature was breezy enough to prevent her from getting too hot in her coat and headscarf the streets in San, San Jose smelled like Marion flowers, and as you walked the mile to the market, she pointed out the plants and fo- foliage that she thought were beautiful. Even in her 80s, she would walk several miles each day at a brisk pace. In Mashad, she walked everywhere. What I remember most about that afternoon was when she mentioned that in all her daily prayers, she always asked God to help her to keep her two legs intact. She didn't see much reason for living if she couldn't be self-sufficient, and she couldn't be she couldn't be self-sufficient without her legs. In 2011, she was hit by a car on one of her strolls in Iran. She was 85 years old, and while she survived the initial accident, she died from injuries a few months later. The doctor said it was a miracle she survived at all, given her age, but that she was in incredible health for a person in her mid-80s. I couldn't help thinking if she'd still. If she'd still been staying with us in California, the accident would have been avoided. I know she would have easily lived to be a hundred. I wish I had spent my adolescence less annoyed and by and resentful of her presence. I wish I had made more of an effort to get to know her better. When a certain leader of the free world tried to impose a ban on Muslims entering the country, I thought of my own family immigrating here. But I also thought a lot about Mani. I know my parents had their reasons to raise up raise us without religion, but it still upsets me to hear my grandmother's peaceful beliefs denigrated. She had a difficult life, but she didn't blame anyone. She was tough and knew how to take care of herself, but most of all, she was curious about the world and open to other people's belief systems. During the last day in San Jose, she went on a walk, stumbled across a church service, and slipped inside. She couldn't understand what anyone was saying or doing, but she still wanted to observe and even dropped five dollars in the donation basket. I can imagine that some churchgoers may have been unsettled by this little old lady in a headscarf hanging around among 
a bunch of Christians. But I'd like to think that they kept an open mind, like she always did, and that no one let the words, go back to your country, enter their thoughts. Frequently asked questions number three. Why do Iranians keep watering cans in their bathrooms? Well, this is embarrassing. If you've ever visited the home of an Iranian and noticed that they keep a watering can in their bathroom, it's not to tend to our houseplants. Though that was a lie I would tell my friends when they came over. Sometimes I even went as far as hiding the watering can under the sink so that none of my friends would even see it. Here's the real truth. We use them to clean our butts. In European countries, most residential and hotel bathrooms come with bidets. Bidets. The sole purpose of a bidet is to wash your butt. But if they don't have but they don't have them in America. I suppose Americans like to have dirty butts. Using our engineering prowess, we found a way to replicate replicate the bidet by using a watering can to splash water on our butts. My uncle even travels with his. Now that I'm an adult with my own home, I decided to get in touch with my roots by purchasing my own watering can for my bathroom. Every time I look at it, I feel like a proud Iranian. Diary entry, May 8th, 1995. Tonight, Kia's kindergarten put on Peter Pan. Kia was Smee. He was so cute and good. I was so proud of him. Maybe one day he'll be an actor. Then I'll be so jealous.